What do a school teacher, product engineer, and professional ballerina have in common? They're now all in sales. I'm Morgan Smith, and I'm your host for this special five-part series on breaking into tech sales. I'm having special conversations with sellers from non-traditional backgrounds, unpacking their story and discussing what they learned on their journey into tech. Now, on to today's episode. Today, I get to talk to the lovely, the wonderful, the one and only Morgan Buchanan. She is an account executive at Speckit, also co-host of The Enablers, another podcast you should definitely check out, especially if you're interested in or involved in sales enablement. And gosh, I'm just excited for this conversation today, given your background, Morgan. So thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And Morgan to Morgan, I am so happy to be here. So excited to speak with you. Um, yeah, I've, I've really been looking forward to it. I was tempted of titling this episode like Morgan Squared or some sort of funny <laughs> thing. It's the yeah. first time I think we've I've ever hosted another Morgan on the show. So I'm, I'm honored to be the first yeah. and I love a good pun. So hey, you know, <laughs> we got to roll with it. Okay. Yeah. Part of the reason that I was so excited for this conversation today is that unlike a lot of people, I think, that we uh, we see in sales, let alone SaaS, tech sales, you have a really different background. And I wanted to start there and I wanted to ask where you got started in your career and what you did for so long before you came into sales. Totally. Yeah. So I was a professional ballet dancer for 12 years. And I, um, I mean, I've been dancing since I was three, training professionally since I was 16. So I was really, that was my whole life. But I would say I had some early exposure to sales. My dad is actually in sales, um, as is my mom, and they have been my whole life. So I think it runs in the family. And of course, I grew up saying like, I would never be in sales. I never wanted to have a quota. Like I remember my dad and he still does this. He'll like get so stressed out over quota and I was like, oh God, that sounds awful. And so basically, yeah, I danced professionally for 12 years. And when the pandemic hit, of course, all of that shut down. And I had really already been thinking about my next steps, thinking that it was time for me to retire. And I had gotten my degree online in political science while I was dancing. And so that box was kind of already checked. And I had done some political internships and it wasn't really my speed. And I was kind of at a loss. And so I started thinking about other skills that I had. And what I realized is that I had been this de facto, like, nonprofit development person for the ballet. So basically, dancers are pretty socially awkward. They're really hard to talk to. And I think they realized that I could talk to people who weren't dancers. And so from like my beginning there at Colorado Ballet, I was asked to go speak at events, you know, go to, to lunch, to dinner with donors and things like that. And so I realized that I had been doing nonprofit development on the side. And so I felt like that was going to be a natural next step. And I leveraged some connections that I had made. And I ended up going to work in development for another nonprofit in the Denver area called A Precious Child. And it was great. It was a great stepping stone for me. I met some really, really lovely people and I learned some really important skills. But I started to realize that it wasn't going to be a good long-term fit for me. So cue second existential crisis in a year. (laughs) And I sat down with a girlfriend um, who works at Snowflake, actually. She's had a really, really successful career in tech sales. She's awesome. And I was like, 
I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, I think I want to get into tech sales, but I'm not sure. And so basically what I realized I had liked about working in nonprofit development is I was doing some corporate sponsorships and I really liked selling the nonprofit to corporations. I found that to be like, I didn't care about them spending their money. It was harder for me to ask an individual for money. And um, I just liked the strategy around that, like who's going to care about it and why. And so she is actually good friends with Melanie Filet, Speckett's CEO. And she was like, oh, my friend just founded this company. Like, you should check it out. I'm going to make an introduction. You can have a conversation, just see what happens. And I was like, eh, yeah, you know, maybe. Like, it doesn't sound exciting, like learning at work, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up interviewing with some folks on the team and they just totally blew me away. And to this day, I think that's one of the best things about actually working at Speckett is the people are just fantastic. And so they sold me pretty much immediately. And um, I started shortly thereafter as an inbound SDR. Wow. What a journey. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask a little bit about the second existential crisis in the year? Mm-hmm. What made you realize that maybe the nonprofit space wasn't for you and maybe the sales space was? Yeah. So that's a good question. Transparently, I wanted the opportunity to make more money and I wanted a little bit more of a challenge. So in the nonprofit world, there's not really, I mean, I'm sure when you get into some of the larger nonprofits, maybe there's like more roles that you can kind of grow into, but I didn't really see, um, I'm someone who always wants to know what's next. And so I didn't really see like a path that was going to accelerate at the rate that I wanted it to into a higher paying role or a role with more responsibility and things like that. So I think I just wasn't feeling super engaged on a deep level. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> I think back even in my own career, I was like, yeah, I, I, I was at that part in my early, mm-hmm. early jobs. Where I was like, mm, I don't really see a trajectory here. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting you also point out, it sounded like there was sort of an evaluation phase as you came into Speckett. And I know that oftentimes career coaches, people who talk about, you know, finding a new job or coming into a new industry is to spend the time interviewing people, talking to people, getting to know what that day-to-day really looks like. So it sounds like you did that, which is awesome. What were a couple of things from those conversations that you were either really looking for or maybe that really surprised you about, oh, I guess, yeah, this is what my parents did when I was growing (laughs) up. Is this for me? (laughs) Yeah. So um, I don't want it to sound like I just thought of all this on my own. Like I do, at the time I had two therapists now, well, a therapist and a life coach. Now I just work with my life coach. Her name is Randall, Future Image Group Consulting. Like she will change your life. I still see her weekly. One of my favorite humans on the planet, but she really kind of took me under her wing. and. At the time, I I had another offer on the table, and it was for this company that I felt like was for me. Like it was a tech company that was still mission driven, and I was like, "This is my dream job." I put there was a final project, and I spent like twelve hours on the final project, and like it was a full day of interviews. It was insane, and I got the job, and that was amazing. And they were going to pay me more money than I've ever seen on any sort of job offer before. And I was like, "Okay, you know, I got this offer. This is awesome." The problem is, is that I didn't really like, I don't want to say it this way. I did not get the same warm and fuzzy feeling from the people that I interviewed with at this other company. And also when I sat down with the VP of sales at that other company, he asked what I wanted to do after being in like a BDR type role. And I said, I want to be an AE. And he said, well, typically this role goes into ops, 
our sellers here have decades of experience. And I was like, okay, well, this might not be for me. And um, so I actually, I was talking to Randall about it. And I also reached out to my friend who works at Snowflake and believe my question was like, if you had these two options on the table, what would be the the deciding factor for you? And it was the ability to excel in your career and move forward in your career, not just take the the higher paycheck and be stuck in a specific role for a long time. So that was big for me. And I'm a big fan of pros and cons lists. So I literally like wrote in my journal pros of one job, pros of the other job, cons and cons. And it was a tough pill to swallow because I turned down a lot of money up front. But I'm I am grateful because I feel like Speckit was the perfect place for me to kind of grow my wings and get started in SaaS in an environment that was going to be really nurturing and really really accepting of me as a human being. Like I've never been in an environment where I was truly accepted for who I am. And it was actually the catalyst for a lot of other positive change in my life. And um, for that, I'll always be really grateful. That's wonderful. I also like pros and cons lists. (laughs) It just clarifies so much, especially, Mm -hmm. can you repeat what the criteria was that your friend at Snowflake said? It was about, what was the question? Yeah, um, so the question was, how do you, if you had two offers on the table and one is going to pay you a lot of money, the role is kind of the same. One's going to pay you a lot of money, but there's no, like you're not going to move into a role that you want to move into. And if the other one's going to pay you less money, but there is the opportunity to move really fast and get promoted really fast and like kind of carve your own way, go with the second option. That's some good wisdom there. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm, I'm glad that I received it because I was hell-bent on that, that higher paycheck. Mm. The shiny yeah. objects, as um, Amy Volis likes to talk about. Definitely shiny objects, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you finally made this move and you joined Speckit, like this is your first sales job as an actual seller. Obviously, in development work, you're selling, but it's sort of mm-hmm. a fundraising role. Mm-hmm. So what was your first week like? What was that experience like at Speckit? Yeah. So I went into the office my first day and my boss, Christian, was there. And I wore like full business casual, <laughs> like a really nice dress and heels. And I was like, oh my God, I like, I think the next day I was in like jeans and a sweater and I have never looked back since. So the first day I joined, so I came into the office and we had our team meeting that day. And Mel was in the office that day. So we all sat in the conference room and we had this big team meeting and like the energy was awesome. And then I sat down and I started doing my onboarding and I was like, well, I've never looked at Salesforce before. So now I have to sell something that is going to layer on top of it. So I better figure that out. And so basically, you know, we drink our own champagne at Speckett, like our whole onboarding process is done through that. But it was a lot of observation. So I think that something that wasn't necessarily prescriptive, but it's something that I just started doing and I still do today when I have time is to watch recordings or listen to recordings of top performers in your organization and emulate the way that they talk about things. And so when I was when I came in as an inbound SDR, there was actually just one other one. And so I immediately just started emulating her. And I knew so she went from inbound and then got promoted to outbound and I knew that that was what I wanted to do too. And so I asked my boss, what did she do that made her so successful? And I did that. And then um, the same thing applied when I went outbound. I copied the top performer. And it's the same thing that has applied 
as an AE as well. The thing that I'm always interested in about in these moments of transition is that I always think we maybe surprise ourselves with some things that we knew, but we didn't actually know we knew. So in that first week or even first month, were there things from either your the development job that you had or maybe even your career as a ballet performer where you're like, wow, I didn't really realize I had this skill, but now that I'm here, I guess I do? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that stands out? That is a really good question. No one's asked me that before. I think, and it's actually something that I draw on when I feel a little bit unsure or I'm feeling a little bit down on my abilities or doubting myself. And it's like, you were having these conversations with these high-powered people, basically since you were 18. Whether it was a donor or a C-suite executive that you needed to woo so that they stayed involved with the ballet. Whether it was one of my like crowning achievements was getting a sponsorship from Tito's for oh, our wow. golf tournament. Um, <laughs> that was like a big deal for me. But even like, just sitting at the table with people who have a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of status in the Denver nonprofit community and having a seat at the table with those people and being able to have a conversation with them, like remembering that you have the ability to have these types of conversations. It's just not easy for you right now because you don't totally know what you're talking about. And so continuing to have those conversations, like stumbling over your words, not knowing what you're talking about, you have to get through that and you have to do that so that you can get to the point where like how I felt talking to donors about the ballet. Well, I know the ballet, like the back of my hand. I'll talk about that up one side and down the other. You asked me to talk about InfoSec and I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't know how to have those conversations, <laughs> but I'll learn. I'll get there. That's amazing. What a lovely skill to recognize from all of those days talking with high-powered donors. Yes, you know, common refrain from Nick is that uh, sales is a life skill, not necessarily just a career skill. He's so right, yeah. What do the onboarding program, I mean, you know, you said Speckett drinks their own champagne. So please feel free to like casually pitch Speckett if you want to. But like, I think it's important to help explain what does onboarding look like at Speckett for you? What were your first 60 days like? Yeah, so... In addition to in-person coaching and, you know, in-person trainings where an enablement person will go through and talk about your ICP, give you a brief overview and things like that. The question becomes when, you know, 95% of training is forgotten after it's given. So if you're only retaining 5%, what's happening to that other 95%? Because it's going to be crucial to you and your role. It's also a huge drain on resources for the folks who are giving the training, developing it, all of that. So that's where Speckett comes in. So for example, like we, you would log in, you would get an email with all of your your systems that you need to log into and things like that. And then you would get directed to a learning path within Speckett. And it would say, you know, here's your ICP. Here's calls from top performing SDRs that you can listen to. Here's basic HR things, like what holidays do we have off, things like that. But where I found it to be really valuable was teaching myself how to use Salesforce. So for someone who's never looked at Salesforce before in their life, to suddenly have to go in and Mm -mm. and use it. Mm -mm. For someone who doesn't like to admit they don't know things, like that was really hard. And so 
there were a couple of times where just because I was in the office and because my manager is so great, he would actually walk through like how to do specific things within Salesforce. But the way that Speckit works is we overlay any Chrome-based app and we provide guidance basically wherever you want it on the page. So using the example of, of Salesforce, any object field or pick list, you can hover over it. And not only, you know, using the example of sales stages, like what is stage one? What questions do you want to ask in stage one? What's the exit criteria? All of that is actually embedded on that field within Salesforce. So it removes the friction defining that information. And for me, I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've had to ping my ops person and be like, hey, I think Salesforce is broken. And nine times out of 10, it is just user error. But <laughs> you know, compared to how I've heard that other orgs deal with questions after changes in Salesforce or an outreach implementation or something like that, it's a pretty great way to reinforce that training and make sure that the 95% doesn't get totally lost. So as far as, you know, besides going through training material and things like that, I had, I think, two weeks of shadowing. Um, and then I was kind of on my own. And so I started getting on calls um, for inbound leads and just kind of went from there. I was coached as I went and we rolled with it. Yeah, what was that moment like for you? Like actually getting thrown in after a brief-ish period of onboarding. I know Speckett's, you know, credo is everboarding. You're never you're never done learning. So of course that that definitely doesn't go away there. But for you as somebody, a new seller, somebody who's new in this position, what were you feeling in that first week on the phones handling all these inbound leads? Terrified that I was gonna say something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I got over that pretty fast. So I think actually my first lead that I've totally forgotten about this, my first inbound lead that I fielded to an AE actually closed. So that's wow. like in my <laughs> Wow, look at <laughs> you. For, for a demo request. Um, and I only did the work of setting the meeting, but they already said that they wanted to have a meeting, but I'll take it. Take it, girl. So yeah, it was, I was terrified I was going to say something wrong, but I would say that one of the things that actually appealed to me about sales from what I had heard was this feedback culture. And it was very apparent to me that that was something that existed at Speckett. And of course, the ballet, when you're in rehearsal, that's all you're doing is you're getting feedback. Like, no, your foot is not in the right place. Like, stretch your knees more. You need to do your arms this way instead of that way. Like, go back and do it again. No, that's still not right. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And so that's been my life since I was three, was constantly receiving feedback. And so I think that's something that I just kind of naturally like. It feels like a warm, like old blanket that I'm putting on. <laughs> um, and of course, it helps you get better if it's delivered in an effective way. But I think that that was something that really appealed to me from the start. Hmm. And after you shifted into, so since you started in inbound and then you shifted into outbound, how would you describe that transition and what was Maybe we can focus on like, what are a couple of key things that you learned transitioning between an inbound SDR and an outbound SDR at Speckett? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started doing outbound when I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, Troublemaker. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, for someone, I really like to follow the rules, but sometimes I just don't. So there were a couple of people that I knew who had expressed interest in Speckit. And so I, I did ask, I said like, hey, can I set these meetings and still get 
paid for going outbound. And they were like, well, yeah, I don't see why not. Like, if you want to overachieve, that's your prerogative. So (laughs) naturally, I overachieved. And I think some of the key lessons that I learned, I mean, with inbound, you don't hear that much rejection. And I think getting used to hearing the rejection on the phone, because I felt like I was already very comfortable talking to inbound leads on the phone, going cold outbound on the phone was scary. But the more that I did it, the less scared I got. So I think learning how to deal with that rejection over and over and over again, and still continuing on is an important lesson that I think you have to learn whether you're going from inbound to outbound, or if you're just starting as an outbound BDR, because you get it as an AE too. Yeah. One of the things that I see a lot alongside transitioning to outbound and getting used to hearing no a lot more than you do on inbound is it feels like it's almost a different workflow. Like it's a different way that you have to manage your days. So for you, like how were you efficient or yeah, I don't know if efficient is the right word, but how did you manage your time well as you transitioned into frankly, a very different role than just handling inbound leads? Yeah. So I, really got into time blocking. Mm. And I was really, really disciplined about what I was going to do during my day. And it was like, okay, you've got 75 calls and 40 emails to send or something like that. Like, you have to finish that before you're done for the day. And I, I do think that that discipline just kind of comes naturally for me from the ballet world. And I'm also very results driven. Like, I, I really, really want to hit and exceed quota and Again, in the same vein of listening to calls from top performers and learning from that, I would also track their activity metrics. And it was pretty clear that the folks who were doing more activity every day were getting more meetings. So I focused heavily on that. And I was really intentional about what I was going to accomplish in a certain day, how I was going to make up for it if I didn't accomplish it in one day. I also had a really great AE who is still on the team at Speckett, still one of my good friends. Mallory, if you're listening, I love you. That she helped me talk through prioritizing accounts and people to go after and things Ooh, like that. Say more about that. I want to, what did you learn about prioritizing and how to like discern which accounts to go after on Outbound? So we have an account scoring system at Speckit that our RevOps people have put together for us. So it factors in a couple of different things, whether they use Salesforce, what industry they're in, how big is their sales team? Do they have an enablement team? Things like that. So a lot of the work is already kind of done for us. But then from there, what I do and what I did with the help of Mallory and what I do for myself now is focus on teams that have large sales orgs while also sprinkling in smaller organizations from maybe they're nonprofits or maybe they're financial institutions, people who you wouldn't typically think of who use Salesforce. Of course, we also work with people who don't use Salesforce, but it's our strongest use case. So Salesforce Mm -hmm. users, if you're out there, you're listening, Mm -hmm. that's me. So (laughs) I think, you know, part of the heavy lift is already done for us. And then I just go in and continue to get um, a little bit more granular with it. Also focusing on where our past champions are and things like that. Mm. That's really interesting that what it sounds like is there's sort of a team-wide effort. You as the individual SDR are not left to your own devices to sort of figure out, oh gosh, how do I take this list of 100 accounts and figure out which one is the right one? There's a lot of organizational support to accomplish that. 
It's very cool. There is. There is. Yeah. It's it's really wonderful. Hmm. Man, I'm just going to take that <laughs> lesson and go send that little clip to every sales director and every RevOps person out in the industry being like, hmm, look at what they're doing here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not common. Oh, but now you've graduated into an AE role. You're now an account executive. Mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. So in this latter half, I just wanted to distinguish two conversations. So let's start with number one. Number one is how prepared did you feel becoming an AE given your time being a BDR? Yeah, so I think that it was kind of serendipitous because kind of how I felt at the nonprofit, like it was time for me to to do a new thing or like work to get promoted or something like that. I was starting to feel like, okay, I know how to set meetings. Like I know that if I work really hard in my role as a BDR, I can get my work done in four hours and still hit quota. Like now I'm bored. What is next? <laughs> And I knew that I really wanted to have those larger strategic conversations. And even though I didn't have any sales experience coming into my role as an inbound SDR, my first one-to-one with my boss, he asked me what my big goal was. And I said, well, I want to be an enterprise AE. And I said, I know that I'm new, but I'm really pretty sure that this is what I want to do. And so I continued to check in with him. And then with um, when he moved teams, like I checked in constantly with my new manager, like this is where I'm at. This is still what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And so I felt ready to take on the role. I had a healthy dose of self-doubt though at the same time. So I um, was very nervous preparing for my interview process, which was an interview with the SVP of sales and then a mock discovery call. But I would say that because I've been at Speckett for a while and I'm, you know, I have good relationships with the leadership team, they were very accommodating for my neuroses and would do like, you know, mock discoveries with me and things like that. So, (laughs) and I was transparent. I was like, I know what happens in discovery. I know that I'll figure out how to demo. But after that, I have no clue, like no clue how to drive a deal forward. I don't know what stage three is. I don't, I don't know how to negotiate. And, um... The general consensus was like, that's okay. We'll teach you because we see that you have qualities that will, that lend itself to being a successful AE. So they gave me a nice long ramp. I stumbled over so many things <laughs> during that period. And quite frankly, I'm just fresh off of it. So um, I'm still stumbling through things. But I think that. And I hate saying this because people people say detach from the outcome all the time. And I understand that reasoning. But I really, really attached myself to my quota. And I was like, okay, how am I going to get this done? What do I need to do to get it done? And um, I focused really heavily on that. Hmm. I think it has a place. I don't know. I mean, I think it's wise advice to detach yourself from the outcome. It's. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some tranquility that comes from that, some inner peace in some ways. Yeah. But I don't know if that has to be the only gear you drive your car in. Like, (laughs) there's other gears. You can shift gears if you want. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's more like don't get super neurotic about the outcome, which Mm. (laughs) I get at times. Like, my rent period was hard. I'm I'm very hard on myself. And um, when things don't go well, like, I really feel it in my gut. And so even today, like, I had a call with a great deal. And it's got like everything, everything right. Everyone's bought in. There's like nine people on every call and they're pushing till till May. And 
even then it's like, okay, well, what did I do wrong? Like, I'm going to go back and review my calls and figure it out and do this and do that. And, and sometimes it's just like you did the best that you could do. You can always learn from your mistakes, but you can't obsess over them. Clip that. Let's uh, <laughs> put that out onto the socials, everybody. <laughs> that's, a, that's a reminder for myself. Yep. <laughs> I find our best pieces of advice are mostly reminders for ourselves. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, and now that you're in this AE role, this is sort of an, I like this question. I have to be honest with you. It's a little awkwardly phrased, so I will <laughs> explain it to you. The question okay. is, what would have changed everything that you now know? And what I mean by that is when you look back coming into Speckit, especially coming off a development background and previously being a ballet performer, what would have changed everything about that process? Maybe made it better that you now know that you wish you knew then? I think allowing myself to relax and enjoy the process a little bit more because I get so wrapped up in not detaching from the outcome and also it's a little bit different now that I'm in this AE role because there's still so much to learn and you're you're constantly learning, you're constantly iterating. But I think like when I got hired as inbound, I was already like, okay, like I get this. What do I have to do to go outbound by XYZ date? And it's like I didn't focus and enjoy the process and kind of relish in that before I was already freaking myself out about self-imposed timelines to get to the next step, which by the way, Companies don't care about your self-imposed timelines. Like they're gonna on <laughs> their timeline. And the same thing when I when I was outbound. I think that I probably had fun and like was present in that process for about two months before I was like, okay, it's time to get real about what's next. And so I actually think that now as an AE, you're kind of forced to slow down because if you continue to rush through processes, you're gonna miss really important information that is going to help you close the deal. And so it's almost like a little bit meditative kind of because you are you have to be so present and you have to be so good at active listening. But I think that there is a little bit of that meditative aspect to it. Hmm. I like that a lot too because I found myself rushing through moments in my own career, moments in my own life. And as you were speaking, I was reflecting on that going yeah, you know, I wish I kind of took my time on that. And it, it, I don't know about you, it wasn't necessarily, like, I don't have regret about it, but it's more like, I could have savored that more. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, I could have just, I could have just been content for a little while before yeah. moving on to the next thing. Exactly, yeah. I could have been content. I could have, like, had a little bit more fun, I think. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than being such a nerd all the time. Yeah, I think that that is an important reminder. Mm. One thing you've mentioned a lot today is quota and a focus on quota and maybe sometimes an over-attachment to quota. So for sellers who are just getting into the industry or, or even folks who are listening to this and want to break in, how would you describe your relationship to quota? And what are a few things that sellers can do to maybe keep themselves grounded in their relationship to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that I, and this is something that I continue to work through with my life coach, I have an attachment to external validation. And when I was transitioning out of the ballet, I knew that I wanted to find a career that was not subjective. So in the ballet world, everything that you do is subjective. Someone might not like the color of your hair, literally. Someone might not like the way you execute a certain movement compared to someone else. And it's really, really hard. 
So I wanted something that was very objective and you, you don't get much more objective than a quota. And you can see exactly what percentage you are to attaining it. However, it is also the ultimate external validation that you have this number hanging over your head. And if you hit it, great. And if not, everybody knows about it. So I think it can be a healthy motivator. For someone who's new coming into the industry, you're going to hear a lot of celebrate the small wins. Again, detach from the outcome. And I, I think that when you think about celebrating the small wins, those small wins will eventually culminate in closed one. If you're doing the right thing and you're celebrating the small wins, you will see good come out of it. So I think celebrating the small wins in a way where you honor where you have come from. So I don't mean celebrating the small wins in a, yeah, we're going to go out for drinks. Like, yes, do that. That's so much fun. But slow down and think about what do those small wins mean to you? Like, does a good conversation on the phone that didn't end in a meeting book mean something for you? Maybe you were really nervous before and you still killed it. Or maybe you kind of had a dry spell and you stumbled a little bit at the beginning and then you ended up having a good conversation. What does that mean for you and your professional development beyond like, oh, I got an email open or I had a conversation on the phone? Mm. I love that wisdom. That's some good wisdom. I'm going to steep in that for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> soak it all up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're kind of close to the end of our time together. And I like to close out these interviews with what I've affectionately called our gray hair question. So um, I okay. apparently continue to have some. <laughs> I don't know about that. But the gray hair question is about your own experience and story. And so what have you learned now, in some ways, like your earned wisdom, your gray hairs that you want to share and for other sellers to know in their own journey? I think the first thing that comes to mind is actually a piece of advice that I got from Christine Rogers at Aspireship. And it was actually, funny enough, it was actually after I had done my first podcast. And before I did my first podcast interview, I was so nervous. I was, I was still a BDR. I like couldn't understand why I was getting all this attention and I was literally like sweating. I went on Thursday night sales, which if you're looking for a community, Thursday night sales is the best. And I asked how Amy and Christine dealt with imposter syndrome. And Christine's advice was so comforting and such a good reminder for me who I will be the first to admit I get main character syndrome. I have main character energy. Like <laughs> I'm an only child. I am a performer. Like I get it. And she was like, no one will remember your podcast. They will take their good takeaways, but they won't remember like if you stumbled over your words and they won't remember if you said something that maybe you felt like you could have said it better. Like, that won't register with them. It's okay. People will move on. Like it, you will do more podcasts. You will have more at bats. I feel like that might be like devastating for some people to hear, but that was so comforting for me. Like everyone is so wrapped up in their own stuff that your perceived missteps likely didn't even register with them. And so to keep that in mind and to just keep rolling with the punches, I think is something that is important to remember in sales because I think when you're a seller, you do have a little bit of that main character energy naturally. And it can be very easy to get wrapped up in things that maybe you did wrong, but you just have to remember that everyone cares more about themselves than they do you. 
And there's something really freeing about that to me. Love that. Well, what a conversation today. I thank you for sharing your story and all of your insights and your wisdom. And I know so many sellers out there will, I'm sure, resonate with your journey. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you and ask you some questions? Yeah, absolutely. They can find me on LinkedIn. I believe my URL is LinkedIn and it's Morgan Buchanan 1, I think. There's some college student out there that has Morgan Buchanan and Darn I them. thought about paying them to, to have that, but <laughs> I'm not. So I am Morgan Buchanan 1 or they can shoot me an email morgan.buchanan at speckett.co. That's awesome. Well, Morgan, thank you for joining the show with another Morgan today. It's been thank great you, to Morgan. have you. <laughs> I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.